You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. So, those of you who were here last week know why uh, I'm here and not Pastor John this week. Uh, Last week, Pastor John uh, videoed in his message and uh, it was it was a well done and high quality video, I would add. I uh, appreciate that a lot. Um, uh, but he was still pretty washed out. <laughs> he looked like he needed to video it. In. So I am not the normal pastor to stay with the theme. I am the abnormal pastor. <laughs> My wife will verify that. I have some friends visiting that will uh, identify with that. Um, this abnormal, but uh, I am here to. Uh, bring the word of the Lord on the same and to pray for and to recognize Pastor John, who is still recovering. Uh, he went to that uh, college gathering up in Atlanta called Passion. And uh, my guess is, John, you tried to keep up with the college kids. <laughs> and you're not that age. Warm down. So he's, he did indeed receive an official designation as diagnosis as COVID. So he's He's recovering, but it is my honor and privilege to uh, be here. I uh, love this uh, mission that's here, and uh, I love the, one of the bylines that's uh, present here at Thrive is relationships are everything, and uh, I couldn't agree more and would offer to you that that's so profound is that we could spend an entire worship series uh, and dive into it in conversation. And, but it's, it's truly what Thrive tends to do. We have the small groups. We have the gathering of worship. Uh, John regularly hosts folks at his home uh, to make sure that we have opportunity to be together and to uh, stir and build those relationships that are so Christ-centered and so powerful and empowering. On a more personal note, uh, we're working on John. We'll pray for him later as well. I want to welcome uh, my mom, who flew all the way in from Chicago, because uh, she heard I was preaching. Uh, <laughs> mom, right? Mom will do anything, do that, do that. So, thanks for being here. She'll be here with with us for the winter. So it's good to see her. I I did mention to her. Um, maybe I shouldn't have said it, but I did mention to her. I said, "Mom, it's really spectacular. After every sermon, I get a standing ovation at Dry. So uh, if you guys want to kind of make sure. <laughs> relationships are everything, and if there is a carcinogen to relationships, and there are many, one of them is ingratitude. If uh, you really want to begin to disintegrate a relationship that you've built on, um, start taking somebody for granted. And that's the heart of the message here today is that. Uh, God is about connecting us in relationships that are empowering and powerful and literally last forever. We are in the practice of introducing the carcinogens of ungratefulness, ingratitude, and taking others for granted. So what this is not in the new normal, this is not uh, a call for resolution. Please be more grateful. You know, uh, that's sort of a cliche phrase. We can do that for a while and you can recognize your spouse. I've also trained as a marriage and family therapist and there's been plenty of counseling that I've done with couples that take that, you know, indeed learn to take each other for granted. 
I noticed just the little things last week. Um, Mary Louise went to get my mom and and uh, bring her bring her back down. And uh, I'm sure you recognize, it, especially if you've lost a spouse or partner, uh, or if you've divorced and lost them, that you uh, take for granted the little things. You know, like did you know that uh, in our household you actually have to go get the clothes out of the dryer and put them someplace. I thought they automatically uh, appeared. I thought that was a part of the automation system. Um, and I'm being facetious, but only partly, you know what I'm saying, is that I start to live life integrated with obviously 40 plus years of living in, with Mary Louise. We're married, not just living together, but that um, there's the little things that you miss, right? And, and think, well, I guess I gotta go get those clothes myself. And I bet you they're not going to fold themselves either. Yeah. Part of that is, is that it's a natural phenomenon. It sneaks in and it creeps up in our lives and in our relationships without our complete understanding and awareness. And that's what Paul is addressing here today. That's what we're getting at. Is not a call to, but how do we move from folks who reflexively um, are sort of self-centered and take each other for granted, not meaning to do so, but introduce carcinogens into relationships that God is trying to sustain. That's kind of where we're at. What we're looking at here is the power of the spirit of gratitude. And what my hope is for you and me here today is that the spirit of gratitude, we come to grips with it, exactly that. A, it is a powerful element. It creates. It's not just a good idea. It's not just a New Year's resolution. It actually has power in it. This is the text that we have here today that uh, Paul wrote for us from Ephesians. That the, Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that's, I love that phrase, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you, he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. There is no way that this can be digested in one quick setting. When I called John, I said, what's the text and how do you want me to get started? I read it over and I went, Oh my goodness, I'm going to keep the people that thrive for hours. I promise it won't be that long, but we did order lunch. So, <laughs> and I'm going to back up to just a minute. And notice the superlatives and the reach and the strength. Paul is really reaching deep to try to get us to understand that this, is, this sense of thankfulness and gratitude and connection is uh, not just a good idea, but is connected to the life of Christ. It is, is part of the Spirit, what the Spirit empowers and creates, and it changes hearts and changes lives and builds that which we naturally destroy. 
which we naturally carcinogy, carcinogenly, if that's an adverb, diminish and destroy. So let's kind of walk through it. I want first to let you know about the book of Ephesians. It's a very unique book. Ephesians is essentially all expanding his spiritual horizons. It's the last circular newsletter written toward the end of his life while in prison in Rome and addresses no specific concern. So the reason why this is important because Paul normally wrote his letters with some very specifics in, in mind. When he wrote Galatians, what, what had happened is he had introduced the grace of Jesus Christ coming to Galatians, which was his first letter, Galatians. And the grace of Jesus Christ and how powerful it was and how much it gave life. And people were coming in behind him after he left town and saying, yeah, but you still got to be circumcised. You still got to do something in response. Paul was, to say Paul was ticked off is to understate it. Paul says, who has bewitched you? And he's been talking about circumcision, he says, and it's right there in the book of Galatians, I wish that they would have themselves cut off. And you don't have to stay on that imagery for too long to know what Paul is getting very angry. So he very much addresses specific situations. The first and second Corinthians is a catalog of issues that are going on, but not Ephesians. And most scholars believe that Ephesians was identified as kind of a newsletter of Paul. He put it out for the Ephesians, but he wanted all the churches in the area to read it. So when you read through Ephesians, you get the sense of this is what Paul, if he gets a chance, what he wants to talk about, not addressing the specifics. This is what Paul writes about when he can write about what he wants. So he opens up Ephesians with predestination. <laughs> it's like, okay, Paul, go for the big stuff, right? And predestination is this the fact that we were chosen before the foundation of the world. And uh, the timeline, the confusion, the Christian churches that have debated and argued how that goes and how that's how that's gospel and that law has been around for a long time. You go, whoa, so when Paul gets down to it, he wants to talk about how God knew us from eternity and loved us anyway, yada, yada, yada. Gratitude is number two, not stop giving thanks for you. So he, uh, gratitude is in the same league as predestination in terms of depth and width and power and might. He wants to talk about the integration of life in Christ. In him we are being built together. Uh, as you get to know me over time and as we are working together, you see I, I love thinking systemically. I love looking at the paradoxes of how life integrates itself and scripture proclaims itself. And it's all about that. In him we're being built together. There's a reciprocity and an integration of life in Jesus Christ that all fits and works together. It's all fairly complex material. And how submitting to one another for mutual blessing as part of one of those paradoxes. Uh, that's Ephesians 5 where it says, Husbands, uh, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. And wives, what does it say? Um, oh, uh, uh, obey your husbands. And I've had lots of counseling sessions about what that means. It's a, it's a, it's a mutual thing. It's a reciprocity. Uh, I remember when I first started the ministry out in East Texas, there was a woman who Mary Louise knew from work whose husband was saying, you must obey me. I thought, well, I'd like to become like unpreacher-like on the guy. But the point of that is it's fairly complex material. So what Paul is saying in Ephesians is, Look, I want to talk to you about how you were chosen ahead of time, the power of gratitude, the integration of life in Christ, and how this submission to one another actually affects life and change. Point of this is, 
It's complex, it's big, and he wants to circulate. Paul is toward the end of his ministry, and so he's really reaching for the heavier, integrated, next step, sort of horizon expanding experience. Into that context comes gratitude. So let's start with Paul on the negative side of things. When he wrote Timothy, and this is important to know that when he wrote Timothy, they're very personal letters. Timothy was a protege of his, and he, uh, it was, he mentored Timothy. Um, Timothy and him were really tight friends. And so um, he says to Timothy some things that he just says, says to no one else. But he's, he's got this list of avoiding uh, who you should avoid. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying his power. Avoid such people. I read that and went, wow, people need to be avoiding me so ungratefulness and ingratitude and that is a part of what separates us, and Paul warns us against it. I love this. Uh, in the secular world, you find quotes that are kind of insightful. If you pick up a starving dog and make him prosperous, he will not bite you. This is the principal difference between a dog and a man. Mark Twain. And you get that. I mean, what, what rings true about that from Mark Twain is that he, he finds these truths and presents them in humorous fashion. But isn't it true? Have there not been people that you have blessed or helped or given ministry and love to who have taken you for granted, even betrayed you? Here's one from William George Jordan. Ingratitude is a crime more despicable. I love the word more despicable than revenge is only returning evil for evil. Well, then gratitude returns evil for good. Huh. That one I thought was interesting. Point of this is, in the secular world, in the biblical world, everybody recognizes the damage of taking another for granted. Here's one that's unknown. Thanks to the people who walked into my life and made it better, and thanks to the ones who walked out and made it amazing. <laughs> I'm retired now, so I can't get in too much trouble for telling you this, but there's been more and more uh, picture a group of pastors at a pastor's conference, and uh, the conferences are over, and they meet for um, um, Lutheran beverages afterwards, and uh, they're talking about, how's things going at your church? And uh, one of the most common responses is, Fine, I'm two transfers away from success, you know. Uh, the people who. The point is that those who stick around in your life can do more damage being ungrateful. Emmanuel Kant, and gratitude is the essence of vileness. He was a philosopher, so he captures words. Point? It's not only carcinogenic, it's deadly. When Paul could write about anything, he wants to write about gratitude because as is recognized in the secular world and the biblical, ingratitude will kill us. It'll kill the mission that thrive where relationships are everything. A lack of gratitude destroys it. 
from Ezra Taft Benson, a more of a biblical approach, we should confess his hand in all things. Ingratitude is one of our great sins. Point made. So this is what I will offer to you is my working metaphor. I know a little bit about black holes. I took an astronomy class when I was in college and for non-science majors, absolutely fascinated. And in, uh, what I Google and what I studied this week in preparation is also what I know. So for that, uh, as far as I go. But apparently what you got is a black hole that exists at the center of the Milky Way galaxy, which is our own, at the center of most or many of our galaxies. And they apparently pull in light and cause this spinning motion of our galaxies. They're super powerful because as soon as something gets to what's called the event horizon of a black hole, it goes in and is never seen again. It gets swallowed up by the darkness. Don't press me on the science of black holes, but that little bit is meant to be the working metaphor for essentially the nature of ingratitude. The nature of taking another for granted. This is a, comes a time, and those of uh, who, you who have been a part of marriages where that's occurred know that it's a, it's a powerful event, is that there comes a tipping point inside of a relationship, inside of a marriage, when it goes over the event horizon and the greed of the other swallows up the relationship itself. And never seen again, it is destroyed. This is the nature of our nature. It's interesting because what happens is we develop new, new standards. And mom, let me use you as an example since you're here. I, I may be in trouble. Uh, take a look at mom's life. She grew up on a farm in Wisconsin. And for most of her early years in growing up, grew up without running water, electricity in the backwoods of northern Wisconsin. So imagine the joy in that household when they got their first phone. And I remember it vaguely because I'd visit her family out in Wisconsin and there was a party line. Remember the party line? You go like you would get, I think, like two rings. Okay, that was our house. Pull that up. And then you would go, are you listening down? Are you listening, Emma? Hang up, Emma. You know. Now, I, I bring that up because th that's true. There was, there was a party line, and I remember it at Boyceville in Wisconsin. That, uh, my mom now walks around with more computing power in her purse or pocket than went to the moon. And, although she appreciates it, we're looking for a new phone because this one isn't working fast enough. She's looking at me funny. <laughs> My point in there is it's true for all of us, is that the bar gets moved. And no longer are we appreciative of a party line, and I'm using that as metaphor rather than specific example. We become frustrated, and that's, boy, is that true in technology, right? Somehow we're measuring things in milliseconds, right? I mean, and I, I'm as guilty as anybody because 4G wasn't good enough. I just upgraded to 5G. And I don't know exactly what that means, except for my stuff loads faster. And I'm happy about that. Come on. 
that see how the bar moves. So the same thing is true in relationships is that technology is an easy example and I'm picking on mom a little bit to show that, but the same thing is true in relationships is we start taking each other for granted and there's some place where the appreciation goes down into the core, into the crevices of the black hole and kills it. And that's the key I wanna, it doesn't just, that's just a good idea to show gratitude, right? it's that it kills the relationship. It gets swallowed up in the darkness of a black hole and essentially is greed personified, which is why Paul would deal with it in Ephesians. It's that empowering, that powerful. And you and I all could come up here and tell stories and examples of how you were taken for granted, how you saw others taken for granted, how you have just been ungrateful for the gifts of others, yada, yada. So this is the kind of the working metaphor is that ingratitude gets swallowed up. So, oh, well, I guess I wanted to say one more, one more point on the, the black hole. And that is, even when we try, we can't do it. Let's assume that um, you're gonna leave from here today going, I'm gonna really try, Carl, to be very, very grateful of all the gifts that God has given to me. Well, well, good luck with that. Because, A, did you wake up this morning and go, oh, thank God for oxygen, unless you were emphysemic or you didn't do that. You didn't say, oh, thank God for the rain that's during our dry season. You said, oh, it's inconvenient. I got to get my umbrella. Is that even if you made an intentional effort to be as grateful as you could for all that God is doing for you and for all that your spouse is doing for you, for all that your friends are doing for you, for the church that it was doing for you, though it would be tiring and exhausting to try to keep the list alive and going and recognize. How do you constantly be thankful for the grace of God, which is often invisible and working behind the scenes? How many times is the Lord save me from myself and I don't even know it because the, I, didn't, I wasn't there when the accident uh, occurred. I wasn't in that intersection. I wasn't as a part of that organization, whatever it was. So I, I kind of know. So even when I want to be as grateful as I can possibly be grateful because I really want to do the right thing, I can't get there because I don't know it or I get exhausted thinking about it, or it's simply too much. I'd spend there all of my day going, oh, that, and 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 that. Just wear me out, wear me down, and be meaningless. So, ingratitude seems out of reach, or gratitude seems out of reach, because we can't muster it under the best of intentions, and it certainly is carcinogenic otherwise. Paul does it by overflowing with thanksgiving. So now we're going to move to the, that part. That was called the law orientation part of it. And then it helped us understand the nature of the way in which we fall short, even when we want to do it well or right. Overflowing with thanksgiving. Here's what Paul says. This is the image I want to leave us with. It's that the grace of God overflows in our lives with thanksgiving. And it was put so well as we closed out our singing portion today. The, when we are trying to muster gratitude, we can't get there. When we live life, we tend to move our bar of acceptance. And 
we are certainly been guilty and have to confess our lack of appreciation for others that are given at times. So we need some blood, somebody, something, something else to fill our gap in our black hole, and it becomes the life of Christ. With Paul, gratitude overflows into intercession. I have stopped, not stopped giving thanks for you, he says to the Ephesians and to the Christians of Europe. Remember, he's saying this from prison. So it's not as though Paul is writing with some executive desk in an executive office. He's showing his gratitude and appreciation from prison. And I keep asking God. He's in the present tense mode. It is a way of life. How does he get there from here? How does he constantly keep asking? How does he constantly keep praying? How does he find a lifestyle and a way to exist that is gracious? He says, I want you to see the hope to which you are called. Okay. So in the midst of everything and anything, I see the hope in to which I'm called. And well, how do I get there? Well, what, what do I do to get there? Hopefulness. I remember when my uh, father-in-law was uh, dying of uh, lymphoma many, many uh, years ago, decades ago. Now my mother-in-law at the time was reading a book called I Will Praise Him Anyway. I was pre-seminary. I was really impressed that she could focus on the gift of God and have hope in the middle of the trial. So where do we get that hope? How can you look at somebody who's saying, whose who's cancer is eating them away, whose lymphoma is causing their bodies to just melt and find hope? How do you see the riches of your inheritance? How do you see beyond what is present in the moment? How do you see beyond the current circumstance of COVID and issues and interruptions and supply chain and people being sick and pastors being off? How do we look beyond that? What do we do? How can we elevate? What has to happen? Oops, too fast, too far. To see the hyperbolon of his dynamis. You know, I got to ask John, he takes the original language, the Greek and Hebrew words, and he puts them on screen. I'm not as techie as him, or I got to help him take screen. So hyperbolon is the Greek word as well as dynamis. We see that by the eyes of our heart being enlightened. Hyperbole, something which is exaggerated. Paul is now reaching going, well, what you need to see is the hyperbolon, the immensity, the intensity, the empowerment of his power that resurrected Jesus, seated him at the right hand forever, and put him in charge. The immensity and intensity of his power is the point. You want to see some power? Let me just sort of uh, reenact that. Even if you are the most profound evolutionary biologist, atheist, agnostic, complete unbeliever, you've still got one problem that leaves you at a spiritual drop-off point. What is that? At one point in time, someplace, somehow, somewhere, sometime, something had to come from nothing. nothing. Someplace. Now, I, could tell you, I draw that line, where I would draw that line would be much earlier, but even if you draw that billions and billions of years ago, you still got the problem. 
And what does the scripture say? The voice of God, the power of God spoke, let there be, and there was. You want to talk about power. Well, Paul doesn't go there. I, I, I'm just amazed at the creation of something from nothing. It's just like, really? That, that old joke, a scientist comes before God and says, we've been able through CRISPR and through all sorts of cloning and other ways, to, we've been able to create life as well. God says, oh, that's really interesting. And he says, okay, that's, that's great. And the scientist says to God, okay, so let's do that together and I'll show you. And God, the scientist bends down and reaches into the dirt and God says, ah, get your own dirt. <laughs> Something from nothing. I'm always amazed by that. But here's my point in that is that that isn't as powerful as what Paul reaches for the power of resurrection, the power of life from death, the power of being seated at the right hand of God and that comes with it. There is no place higher, the power to be put in charge of it all. That's what Christ is given. That is the power of Christ, even bigger and more hyperbolous then something from nothing is Christ lives forever. You see, he is who fills the black hole. He is the light, the fullness, the incredible overwhelmingness of light and life, who not only created something from nothing, but who took a dead body rotting and made it live forever and says, I'm going to do the same thing for you. There is where this full-time, fully lived gratitude is born and comes from. Not from within, but from the Christ who comes to live within, and that's Paul's point. We're about to celebrate a little bit later today the Lord's Supper, which is also uh, called, especially in some other denominations, the Eucharist. Eucharist comes from the Greek word eucharisteo. You know what the word eucharisteo means? To give thanks. It's a commentary and sort of addressing what Jesus did on the night in which he was betrayed. He took bread and wine and gave thanks. So what we have now is the sacrament of life and love that places gratitude in our lives, in our hearts, in our spirits, that fills the black hole that is always sucking life out of it, it gets replaced and filled by the Christ who suffered and died and paid for every bit of ingratitude and greed that I generate, who fills the black hole so that there is no event horizon, there is nothing left but Christ. In him the fullness of God dwells fully. In the sacrament of bread and wine, body and blood, we are given what we cannot generate the love of Christ, who will live forever, who sits at the right hand, and who's in charge of it all. He is who we will feed on. He is who will cleanse us from ourselves. It is He for whom we are grateful and give thanks. There is no black hole vacuum, only Jesus. No matter how hard we look to ourselves, no matter how intentionally we choose to practice our, ourselves, we will fall short. 
So he will come to us, he has come to us, and he will come to us as one seated at the right hand in charge of everything, including your eternal life with him. Oh, thank God. In Jesus' name, amen.